Welcome to She's in Control with your host Sally. She's in Control is a podcast that brings to light inspiring stories of Arab women. Every Sunday, we invite you to join us as we delve into the life of impactful Arab women who has made significant contributions in fields such as sports, business, art, culture, or politics. Today, I'm so excited to introduce the sixth interview with an inspiring Saudi woman, Yasmin Idris, who will share to us her ongoing journey of self-discovery, challenges, and learnings. Yasmin is the first Arab and Saudi woman to embark on a journey to bike 1,400 kilometers around Iceland in three weeks on a road that goes around the country. She's a true source of inspiration for anyone who wants to pursue their personal goals. Hi, Yasmin. Hi, Sally. First of all, I'm so happy and thank you so much for taking the time to be on She's in Control podcast today. Very happy to be here. Thank you. To start, uh, I just wanted to leave you the floor to introduce yourself to the audience. Yeah, for sure. I am Yasmin Idris, and I am the first Arab and Saudi woman to cycle the Ring Road of Iceland. That has been my latest introduction, but I have been many things before that, and I will be many things after that. But um, yeah, it's funny. We have to choose one, one sentence and one way of introducing ourselves. Yeah, it's not easy. A lot of people like start by introducing themselves by telling uh, what they do for a living, or mm-hmm. I don't know, origin, nationality. It's it's so it's so tough to to just summarize who you are in one sentence or in one word. Yeah, and we can spend the rest of this podcast talking about this, right? <laughs> like, are we our profession? Are we our nationality? Yes. Are we? where we come from, our religion, you know, it's, it's a fascinating topic, but, um, but yeah, I know we have lots of other things to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I was truly inspired by your journey and, you know, actually I was, um, uh, just reading uh, some articles on Arab news and, uh, I discovered your journey and it was so, so inspiring. But the idea today is also to get to know you as human and who you are as a person, not mm. only the achievements. And, uh, to start, I really like to begin with the childhood experience, uh, because I believe that in order to understand the personality uh, or the values of a person, the, who they are, we might like start by the childhood to understand the environment uh, where mm-hmm. they grew up. So uh, I'm curious to, to know how was it, uh, what memory do you have mm-hmm. uh, growing up in Saudi Arabia? I'm so curious about that. So yeah, if you can uh, share to us a little bit about this uh, period. Yeah, I'd love to. I grew up in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia, the second largest city in Saudi. Mm-hmm. Um, and I grew up in a very different Saudi than, than today's Saudi. Uh, but I had, a, I had a great childhood. I grew up quite differently from my three older brothers, um, mm-hmm. all of whom went to Saudi schools. I was the only one to go to a French school, so I was French educated. And that, I think, was the first... Um, first of many differences between mm-hmm. me and my my siblings, between me and um, 
and many other people have had a, a unique upbringing, I would say. Mm. Um, you know, my, my brothers are much older. They're 10, 12, and 14 years older. And so I, I grew up with a oh. kind of uh, only child feeling. Okay. Um, and I grew up with this feeling of, of really having to be there for myself and show myself the road and um, and uh, find meaning and direction in a reality that felt very new. You know, I didn't mm. feel like there were many examples of people who had the same life experience as me from from the from many different perspectives but mm. it, it was very much me paving the way for myself i was sent to summer camp when i was 9 years old for a month in switzerland and in summer camps usually people go with a friend i was sent mm. alone and that was the case for for my entire childhood i found myself on my own in places mm. where people went with friends or family and that has been one of the biggest and most impactful life lessons for me i had to find a way to adapt to mm -hmm. to i didn't want to just adapt i wanted to thrive and I succeeded, you know, I, I learned how to observe people, study people, mm -hmm. and I learned how to fit in. And that's good and bad, right? Like that mm -hmm. is both on the one hand, it's beautiful because I fit in in many places that were very different from, from my home. Yes. Um, and it's not so great in the sense that I had to always camouflage myself and become someone else, mm -hmm. right? I, ideally... I think a healthy way of doing this would be to to understand the local um, values and mm -hmm. what's what's appreciated, what's not appreciated, but always also having a sense of self wherever we go. Mm. So, so many, so many lessons when it came to to this particular part of my childhood of, of finding myself in in many different circumstances that were new and foreign on my own and having to adapt. I mean, I'm proud of it. I'm, I'm proud because it was not easy. I got myself to a place that I feel good about. I also went to boarding school, which was a big part of my childhood. Well, I wasn't a child. I was 15 at the time. But, you know, I lived abroad at a relatively young age and mm -hmm. could make my own decisions. And then I went to university in the U.S., and lived in several places in the U.S. Um, so I've been away from home since I was 15. And that's, wow. been, that's also been very much a part of my story. Wow, this is uh, impressive. And uh, oh my God, I have a lot of questions for you. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned the first thing you said that uh, the Saudi you grew up mm -hmm. is uh, quite different from the Saudi uh, of now. Yes. What's the difference and in what way? It was different in the fact that it was more closed off from the world. Um, we, you know, Saudi is a country that's evolved tremendously in the last five years. It looked very different in terms of um, the social structure, um, mm. the openness to the world before not anyone could visit. You had to have a religious or business reason. It was a very, very safe country to grow up in, but also a bubble. You know, we were yes. kind of closed off from the world. Uh, and now Saudi is one of the fastest growing countries in, in the world. And we are skyrocketing into, mm -hmm. into new levels. And people ask me all the time what I think about this. And, and to me, it's a beautiful evolution and, and 
everyone evolves at their own pace and this is just our pace right yeah like people think that the blueprint is the western way and we all mm -hmm. have to follow the western way that's that's not true we're all different because of our own stories and our mm -hmm. own history and culture and heritage and saudi is a very rich culturally rich place that's a melting pot of so many different mm -hmm. uh Arab subcultures and that have brought in their own flavor. It's it's the, the the story of how the country came together is a very inspiring one as well. And so, you know, but it was beautiful before when I was growing up in it, and it's beautiful now. It's just mm. a different kind of beautiful. Yeah, I mean you're right uh, because um, I think Saudi Arabia is unique, like Egypt. Every country is unique, but it's important to have kind of diversity because if you replicate everything that you are seeing in the Western world, otherwise mm -hmm. you don't have any uh, identity. Um, exactly. You... And like one more thing about this, when you think about, you know, if we want to admit it or not, there's this, this belief in our subconscious, in our collective subconscious that the West is 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 Best. the correct way mm, right mm, and yeah. like if you spend time to think about it where does this come from it comes from colonization right mm -hmm. the west england france uh, mainly england and france have colonized many parts of the world and spain of course um yeah. and so there's this subconscious collective belief that that is their way is the way to follow is is the ideal and everything else is judged based on where it is Hmm. Uh, in comparison to that but obviously that's false it's just you know it's just good to know and be aware of where we get these ideas from especially when it comes to um, evolving from this point on and there's a there's a collective shift in 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 the way we perceive these things right there's like yeah. a collective awakening mm -hmm. to colonization and its effects and um and preserving local culture and celebrating local culture there's been i would say in the last maybe five years an mm -hmm. intense shift in the way we we view it because 10 years ago the image of the west was still yeah. the ideal right yeah and so it's exciting to live in a world where we are witnessing this change happening yeah absolutely and you know the idea of also behind this podcast is to correct misconceptions about mm -hmm. the arab world and yeah. specifically about arab women i hope in the future that uh, the mentality uh, will shift but growing up in europe you know i have noticed that there are a lot of misconceptions about arab women and uh, more about Saudi women. A lot of people might think that uh, we as Arab women, we don't have any freedom, you know, of expression or mm -hmm. any freedom regarding uh, any decision uh, we want to make. Mm -hmm. uh, and a lot of people think that we depend on, you know, our father, our brother, the masculine um, mm -hmm. person in your family. Uh, so I I'm curious to know your feedback regarding this from your experience you also mentioned that you have like three oldest brother uh, mm -hmm. how did you deal with that and uh, and my second question it's regarding the decision to to live abroad was it like your parent decision just to understanding yeah. the context uh many different questions yes um, <laughs> um i will start with this idea of um 
the role of the women in the Arab world and how it's evolved. So the Arab woman, the Saudi woman, is is very empowered in Saudi Arabia today. Um, mm. She has the same opportunities as men. Um, she is very well compensated for her work. She is dynamic and very multifaceted. She's a mom. She's uh, in the workforce. She mm. is part of uh, clubs and hobbies. And I mean, a woman is is very, very empowered in, in today's Saudi Arabia. In fact, women uh, occupy some of the most powerful governmental roles. So this is something that is a very big misconception about mm-hmm. Saudi women. I grew up with three brothers and in my family, I, I grew up with the exact same uh, rules and uh, and uh, standards that they had, you know, and it, it went both ways. You know, if, if my brothers were held to a certain standard, I was too. And, uh, and it worked when it came to freedoms as well. If my brothers could do certain things, I could too. Mm, okay. um, so it was a very equal way of, of growing up. And I just remembered what I wanted to say about um, women and men. You know, mm-hmm. there's this idea around the modern woman, woman and her role in society and this trend towards ultra empowerment and ultra individuality. And I mean, if the woman wants that, that's beautiful. She can Mm -hmm. have that. But it speaks to our our role as a society and a collective and our interdependence with one another. It's beautiful to live in an interdependent way, Mm -hmm. right? Which means I contribute to our family, you contribute to our family. Like, Mm. you know, and and I think for me, the ideal is a balance between what the man does and what the woman does, not Mm. the woman does everything and the man does every, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's a complementary approach. Exactly. And there are naturally feminine uh, traits and naturally masculine traits. Mm -hmm. And when I say masculine and feminine, I mean... These are these are parts of ourselves that we we both have. Like mm-hmm. a man has a feminine side and a masculine side, and a woman has a masculine side and a feminine side. These are uh, archetypes, energies, yeah. nothing to do with gender. Um, and naturally speaking, uh, nurturing, caring for children, children mm-hmm. rearing, those are more feminine qualities. But does a man not raise his children? Of course he does, mm-hmm. right? And and yeah. naturally speaking. Uh, pursuing a career, um, holding structure and discipline are more masculine qualities. But does a woman not do that? Of course she does. And so it's finding the balance that works for each couple or each family, mm-hmm. right? Like maybe yeah. maybe in one family, the man really likes to cook, you know, so great. So there are different ways of, it's not so black and white. Yes. Like, like we try to make things in order to simplify life. It's not, it's very, very much a gray area that each family gets to decide for themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I totally agree. I mean, each couple, each family has its own way of doing things. And uh, for example, like, I don't know if you have a family where the, the, the women decide to not work, that doesn't mean that all women are not working you know exactly. what i mean so yeah. it's it's not like a right approach to just generalize one mm-hmm. uh, situation so yeah i also had uh, another point so you mentioned that you 
So you moved to Switzerland at a young age, I think 15, mm-hmm. and then you studied to the United States. You mentioned mm-hmm. that you observed people and it helped you to adapt, to fit in, but at the same time, uh, to keep this sense of self. Yeah. How did you achieve that? And how did you succeed in understanding who you are and stick to your values and stick to your identity? It's a lifelong journey, I think. My grandfather used to say, you are a different person in every language that you speak. And that's mm. very true. Interesting. Yeah. yeah, and it's very true. I speak four languages, and in each language, I become a different person in a way, right? Like, obviously, mm. I, it's not like I'm like bipolar and I become this totally different personality, but it's it's more of, a, of an undertone of depending on that language's culture and and values i i adapt in a way and it's it's not to say that i don't lose myself it's actually a beautiful beautiful thing and a beautiful way of of uh, having like a dynamic personality but i would say the observation part and ad- adaptation part happened when i was young i would say up until 15 up until i went to boarding school and then at that point i You know, you're a teenager, there's a sense of of self that you want to have. Who am I? Hmm. You want to assert yourself. At that point, I was starting to form um, my own personality, my own character. But at this point, I feel like I try to to take from the cultures that I visit and that I learn Hmm. from, adapt qualities that I admire and, and... that's how I view the positive side of, of being, um, let's say, worldly or, or, or multinational or open. Like we have this idea of the other mm. that's that's so bad, right? Like mm-hmm. what we know is good, our mm. culture is good, and and the other is bad. And it's not conscious; it's subconscious, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I grew up with with this strong identity of of an arab woman but mm-hmm. not a strong identity of one specific place yeah um i didn't find it necessary to to narrow my identity into one box and and that's that's made me a kind of bridge and that's mm. sort of the 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 way i feel myself today is a bridge a bridge between cultures and places and ways of being and um, and uh, lifestyles, you know, I, I'm not intimidated by by differences, and that's just a, a way of life. You choose, mm. you you choose this. Like if someone yeah. wants to argue with me about what's better, or which place is better, or which World Cup should win, you know, I'm not <laughs> the person to argue with. You know, um, yeah, I know what you mean. I hope that made sense. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it's interesting because you you said that you, of course, you feel like you, you, you are an Arab woman and it's part of your identity. In what way you feel like you are more close to the Arab culture? And in what another way you feel like you're more maybe close to Western um, culture or way of uh, thinking? Yeah, I mean, I feel myself as an Arab woman in all the ways that, that make me who I am, my name, my language, mm-hmm. how I speak to my parents, how I speak to my family, how I speak to my friends, the values that I hold. And 
the other part isn't that I feel myself, I don't feel myself as anything other than an Arab mm-hmm. woman. There is a sense of, of blurring of those lines in the, in the sense of um, opening up this idea. Like, mm. like, I am not going to hold on to my identity so firmly that it's going to separate me from someone else or create conflict. Mm. I will mm. defend my position if it is threatened 100%, mm-hmm. but I will not create separateness. Like the fact that I am Arab does not mean that I, it shouldn't mean, you know, it shouldn't be a an issue. If I were Japanese, mm-hmm. it shouldn't be an issue, you know? Yeah. Um, grasping to identities can be, can be a problem in today's world, but I, I view my Arab heritage as, a, as an immense strength and a, a point of pride, um, mm. but not one that will create a wall between me and someone else. I understand what you're saying. And uh, I mean, I totally agree because uh, like I had a kind of similar experience because I, so I was born in France, but I grew up between Egypt and, and France. Mm-hmm. And today I feel like, of course, I'm more maybe close to the Arab culture. My parents are Arabs, you know, mm-hmm. are Egyptian. I speak Arabic. Mm-hmm. I'm more like familiar with uh, uh, the, the Egyptian cinema, the culture, mm-hmm. the food, uh, <laughs> even, you know, the jokes. Um, mm-hmm. and as you mentioned, it's it's so funny, but it's true. Like when I speak in French and, you know, I, I go to work, etc., I feel like the yeah. French side of me is like the fact to be serious, to be very consistent in work, yeah. um, to stick to what you are saying, you know, yep. and my, let's say, Arabic side <laughs> is maybe when I speak, uh, my parents and my family, friends at a always tell me that um, I am more like funny when I speak in Arabic than French. So <laughs> it's uh, it's so crazy to see that you can have not it's different true. personalities, but different facets. Exactly. Facets. Exactly. Very well said. Yeah, it's so true. You know, Egyptians are hilarious. Egyptians are like, I think the funniest <laughs> Arabs because life is just light for them. You know, yes, how beautiful absolutely. to bring that into yeah. everything yeah yeah i mean it's crazy because i feel like we as egyptians we are so la- uh, easy going you know mm-hmm. but uh, for example like i can't imagine myself uh, going back to egypt and for example go to i don't know any administrative organization yeah. and just <laughs> like Uh, confronting the mess of yeah. how the process is working <laughs> I, like i'm so used to the french way and you know the structured way and yeah. organized way of doing things yeah that's but, true but yeah so it's the 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 third point i wanted to address with you is of course the many turning points that you had mm-hmm. so uh, when we had this discussion before the the podcast uh, recording you mentioned to me that maybe the first uh, major turning point was when you left the corporate job mm-hmm. and you decided to start your own uh, sustainable footwear um, company yeah So I was wondering, uh, why did you uh, make this this decision? And was it like um, easy for you? What the steps uh, did you take to to be able to launch your own company and maybe mm-hmm. the challenges you face, etc.? So this 
poet. Yeah, I would love to speak to that. I um, went to an entrepreneurship school for university. And when I graduated, mm -hmm. I took a job in a, um, a tech company, up and coming tech company in New York City. It was um, a great position and I was offered an even better one. And I had to make a decision. But mm -hmm. I dreaded getting off the subway and going to that job. It was a sales job. You know, everyone at the company was great. The company was doing great. The mission mm. was great. But I hated getting off the subway to go do this job. And I'm like, I can't imagine continuing in this. I just, I just can't do it. What a waste of, of life it would be to do something that makes me feel this way. Not to say the job wasn't good. It was mm -hmm. probably perfect for someone else, just not yeah. me. And that's what I tapped into and felt was this feeling of this is not for me, but like in a felt sense in my body, not mentally. Because in the, the Western way of, of, of study, we are, it's so mental, you know, we are, we sit with a career counselor and based on, based on our grades in a certain class, we, mm. they they advise us to go into a certain job or career path. But like, yeah. I was great. I was good at math on paper. I, my brain doesn't like to do it naturally. You mm. know what I mean? Like that's yes. not my job, but I can study properly for a test and get you good grade. So mm. this is where, you know, heart and mind oppose each other. And, and in our, educational system not just western also you know global we yes. focus so much on the mind uh, but my heart was was screaming and i just couldn't do it and so i i took some time not much time but i took some time to think about what what did my heart want what what would make me wake up every day excited to do what i was about to do and mm. um travel and culture was a very big part of my story so far. I had visited over 20 countries by the time I was 10 years old. Wow. And, and it just that list kept growing. Um, and that was a big part of what influenced me as a, as a young person as well. Mm -hmm. um, and so I wanted to keep that part of exploration, adventure, travel, culture. And at the time, I was working on a footwear uh, project at university and I had uh, linked up with manufacturers and I was pretty knee deep in, in the world of, of shoes. And so I, I linked those two things together. I linked uh, this, this product that is a shoe that is uh, walking in the shoes of, you know, kind of made sense with, with culture and travel. And the, the result was a, a footwear brand that was sustainable um where every collection was inspired by different cultures so i would travel to that place usually a lesser known place not like big cultures like france and spain and england mm -hmm. lesser known ones and i would um in the beginning i was collaborating with local artists to create the shoes but then it became me designing shoes based on my experience of the place i would interview a lot of locals and really mm -hmm. spend at least three weeks in the place to 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 the, explore it and discover it and it was great I had a lot of fun um mm -hmm. I learned a lot 
yeah. uh, about so many different things. But at the end of the day, I was competing with every other footwear brand and I was a startup and it just became very, very difficult. And so it, I got to this place where I, I, I woke up one day and I was like, well, five years later, you know, I tried everything, put everything mm. I had into this. And I, I'm someone who has a lot of perseverance in her. And I, I just reached the end of my road and I was like, I, I don't want to do this anymore. It's not worth pushing this big rock uphill. Mm. Um, there was promise for the brand, you know, if I kept going, we could have made it like there was that sense. But I was just at the end of my road and I, I listened mm. to that. And it was confusing, right? Because mm. here I was following my heart, doing the thing that I love to do. Yeah. And it wasn't it, you know, 90% of the work was what you do at any company, strategy, sales, finance, whatever. Mm -hmm. Yes. The 10% was the fun part, design and travel. And um, so I decided to, to shift again. And that's when I, for the first time ever, took some proper time off mm -hmm. six months to train for and eventually do this this tour around Iceland by bike I was always fascinated by by touring and by slow travel I saw touring bikers in different countries and I was like wow it'd be amazing to to do this one day and and I myself experienced a part of the Camino de Santiago which is a pilgrimage in Spain I walked it for an entire week where I had everything I needed on my back and I woke up every wow. day and just walked all day until the next town you know and mm -hmm. there was an immense sense of freedom in that and and a sense of closeness with nature and with surroundings and with myself you know mm -hmm. I was with myself yeah. all day every day and I wanted that again I wanted that space in order to figure out what my next step is in a, in a conscious way, not just like, oh my God, I need a job and like jump into yes. the next thing. Mm. And that's what I did. And that's what, um, and that's how I became the first Arab and Saudi woman to cycle the Ring Road of Iceland. Wow. Th this is impressive. Uh, and I really love the trajectory, you know. Uh, mm. It's interesting because you mentioned that uh, when you started and you founded your own company, it was based mm -hmm. on your passion. Yeah. And we we often listen, you know, follow your passion, follow your passion. Mm -hmm. But in your uh, experience and your story, it's interesting because what you are saying is, of course, you can follow your passion, but sometimes it's not enough and it's okay. It's okay mm -hmm. to shift. It's okay mm -hmm. to, to start new things from scratch. And it's a way also to challenge yourself and also learn about yourself. Mm -hmm. So what did you exactly. learn about yourself when you left? So you, you decided to stop your, your company and to take this six months time to focus mm -hmm. on yourself. What did you learn at that time? From my understanding, you are, you are always seeking for new adventures. This is like mm -hmm. a way for you to feel that you live. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I'm also wondering... It will stop one day or you need this in your life, you know, to just feel that you are alive? Yeah, beautiful, beautiful question. Um, I think the shift for me happened from following my passion mm -hmm. to following my nature. 
that is a very subtle and important change because I was listening to culture, right? Which says, follow your passion, follow your passion. Yes. And at the time I thought it was like anti-culture, counter-culture. And I felt really cool thinking like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm, to- I'm going to, I'm like one of the only ones in my friends group that like went and did the risky but exciting thing. And I believe in it with all my heart. And I did, I believed in it with all my heart. You know, and that's why it was so crushing when it when it didn't pan out. But the shift happened from listening to society telling me follow your passion, which I still feel is is true. But there's a nuance. It's now I've shifted to follow your nature, like know yourself and follow your nature. Who are you? What are you meant to do? What were you built to do? Mm-hmm. And people sometimes are afraid of of pursuing that because they might discover that what they want is different from their nature but that doesn't yes. it doesn't work that way what you want will always be part of your nature that's how you were created that's why you were created and so I started to learn about myself um, through the lens of, of ancient wisdom Mm-hmm. Um, and modern wisdom as well. I started to study and, and read and research, and I um, learned about my my nature and my essence. And mm-hmm. I'm still in that trajectory and in that learning and in this that spaciousness. But that shift is is of perspective is is very important because you're right. You know, pursuing passion blindly is is not enough. Mm-hmm. It has to be aligned with with what we're here to do, and what we're here to do is never going to fail us, yeah. you know. But it re- requires a lot of sometimes sacrifice, you know. Like mm-hmm. in especially in Arab culture, we are often prescribed a role yes, in our 100%. family, and there are expectations around what our life is meant to be. It's, it has to be financially, not just successful, but like unbelievably successful. You know, yes. such high standards. Yeah. Um, not only regarding your financial situation, but as you mentioned, even when you are a child, you know, you have a lot of pressure. Regarding yes, education, grades. Yeah. You must have like the best grades and then yes. you grow up and you, you must like, you know, be selected to the best uh, position mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. The, the company. And yes. it's, it never stops. And yes. um, and I think it's a, it it requires a lot of courage, you know, and yeah. also self discovery because maybe a lot of people just follow like the path and follow what the society is expecting from them and not really ask themselves those questions. Yeah, because it's easier, you mm-hmm. know. Of it's course. easy, and if you're if you're in a comfortable spot in your life and things feel easeful, like why would you change that, right? It depends mm-hmm. on when you hit a wall of, oh my God, what am I doing with my life? I hit it very young, you know, I've been making, I've been asking this question for so long and adventure is a way for me to feel alive. It's true. I I, I, I thrive on adventure and foreign travel and discovery, mm-hmm. um, but to answer one of your questions, is it ever going to stop? I mean, ideally, I always have a sense of that in my life. Um, And the way that my exploration has evolved, uh, it started in more of a 
traveling and seeing and experiencing. So traveling wide mm-hmm. into traveling deep, meaning now my trips must have a purpose of growth. My trips help me understand myself and learn about myself through the mirror of other cultures. Mm-hmm. And what that looks like practically is pilgrimage. You know, pilgrimage doesn't have to be religious. Mm-hmm. My trip in Iceland was a pilgrimage because yeah. it was an inward journey. Every day on the bike was me facing myself and mm-hmm. having to to face my shadows, the parts of me that are not comfortable and yeah. and also me seeing my strength and perseverance, mm-hmm. you know. And and you know, for me it's it's obvious that I have a unique path, a different path. We all have unique paths, but mm-hmm. mine is one where I um might succeed where others fail and might fail where others succeed meaning mm-hmm. i have a a path that's kind of counterculture kind of different and and it may be confronting to some people like my family for example where it's like oh my god what's she doing mm-hmm. but it's what feels most um natural to me and that's mm-hmm. You know, expectations from my culture and family is something I've been dealing with for a long time and, and fighting for my own mm-hmm. space in the world and, and my, yeah. what, I, what I desire to do. Um, but it's, it's changing my family as well, you know, mm-hmm. in many ways and showing them maybe that there's more than one way. Absolutely. I think you also proved from... your way of thinking your how you evolved that uh, it also something that is positive for you and that you need it so it's not a question of luxury or or just traveling for having fun or shopping mm-hmm. it's uh, it's something very deep behind it so yeah very valuable i'm curious to understand also regarding your challenge to to cycle around iceland mm-hmm. how did you prepare mentally speaking physically speaking mm-hmm. spiritually speaking yeah how much time did it take to to just uh, make yeah. the decision and to the decision happened very quickly the morning i woke up and i was like oh my god what am i not oh my god what am i doing but that my former company was done within a week i i i moved it I uh, it's a, it's not completely closed it it's morphed into something else and will hopefully um keep going in a different form but I'm no longer involved in it and immediately in the conversations I was having with friends you know people don't give you time to process at all immediately the question was yes. so what's, what's next? the next step exactly, next step? Yeah. exactly. And I was surprised that I had an answer. And the answer was I wanted to cycle around Iceland. I mean, it, it almost came out of me. Like, mm. I didn't really think about this. It's almost like the experience chose me. And things happened pretty quickly. I almost didn't give myself enough time to question my decision. I started training. The, the entire period was about four months, four months of, of training. I hired a virtual coach. Basically, she gave me my schedule uh, via email and I would go out and do it. I spent, uh, started from two hours and I went to about five, five and a half hours on the bike each day. There was a like physical conditioning portion as well. So mm-hmm. it was it was a full-time job for for about four months. 
um getting buying the gear the the bike the you know i slowly bought my gear over the course of the four months and learned how to fix a tire and learned about this ring road so physically speaking this is how i prepared you know mentally and emotionally i the process started in the training because i'm on the bike all day right like mm-hmm. already it started there i was listening to podcasts i was learning i was it was a time of, of growth on the bike to be honest mm-hmm. and of reflection but spiritually speaking i mean the way i i just made space that's mm-hmm. how i prepared there was no i created spaciousness in my life and in my way of thinking to allow whatever needed to happen next to happen like the work was was removing internal barriers and removing quieting that voice that says well what will they think what will they think will your mm. parents accept will society accept like slowly quieting that voice so that whatever needed to happen that was in my best interest could happen mm-hmm. and in your mindset uh, did you have like a, a goal in your mind you know i need to uh, to do it and mm-hmm. to to reach like the final uh, uh, stop you know and mm-hmm. to, to finish uh, until the end or it was more like let's uh, let's see what will happen during the the journey and the process and the cycle look i had no doubt that i would complete the ring road uh, mm-hmm. maybe that's the part of me that's a little bit you know a little bit um arrogant or or no, competitive you just yeah also like competitive compete, like you compete oh, with yourself <laughs> yeah and I knew my physical abilities and I was like I I mean I know I can do this mm-hmm. what what I, I didn't put any pressure on myself in terms of time because this was an internal journey more than anything else mm-hmm. so if I was pushing myself physically that might override my my process And so, no, I didn't give myself a time. I gave myself a loose timeline of three weeks because I had people supporting me and there was their time to also consider. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there was not a very uh, defined timeline. Um, no, my goal was to finish. My goal was to mm-hmm. complete the ring road. And I, I had no doubt that I would do it. But, I mean, there were many obstacles and and moments where I thought, oh, my God, am I going to have to send the crew home and, and like, take longer mm. to finish the wind was insane i mean the yeah. wind was nothing that i could have prepared for you know yeah, uh, i could imagine it was like a tough tough super uh, tough and yeah, how forever. did you manage that how did you manage that? it was tough what did you think at that time in your mind what what you were yeah. telling yourself I mean, the f- the first four days were the hardest. And so it was a very brutal beginning. And I was like, oh, my God, mm. am I going to be able to do this? The first day, I couldn't feel my legs. And I was mm. shaking. And I was like, oh, my God, am I am I going to do this? I, I truly questioned it. Uh, but it was peak winds of the entire summer, those four days. Mm. And so it was just l- meant to be that way, where I had a very brutal beginning and the second day was a bit better the third day was the worst physically and emotionally it was just high winds didn't stop hilly hills everywhere I hit a pole I fell off the bike and hit a pole and that that uh, created a problem with my brakes so my brakes were were working when they shouldn't be so I had that Mm. stopping me 
there were so many obstacles and that's when I decided with the crew that we needed something needed to change it wasn't going to work this way and so that was the first time that we started to look at the weather and the terrain we didn't look at the weather before we I just woke up and I went but now Mm. we looked at the weather and we realized that I in the night uh the wind was at its lowest and so I I woke up at like 2.30 the next morning to ride in the night, which wasn't really night because it was 24-hour sunlight in Iceland in the summer. Mm, And so I I rode from 3 a.m. until 9 a.m. And that's how we started doing it. We looked at the weather and we were like working with nature instead Mm. instead of against her. And that was our first lesson in surrender. Yeah, so you just adapt your approach and uh, strategy regarding the weather to, to be able to, to make it. And mm-hmm. so you mentioned that, uh, I don't know uh, if we discussed that, but mm-hmm. when you finished uh, the ring road, actually it was not like the best feeling ever because you were <laughs> lost <laughs> yeah, and you were struggling to, <laughs> to find your crew. So yeah. Yeah, so it was hilarious because the ring we we just started on a random point in the ring road, right? Like we marked yeah. it on our on our map, okay. And I had to go back to that point in order for it officially to be complete. Mm. And so, so I'm approaching the area, and I'm on the other. Side. It's a highway, so I'm trying to get on the highway, mm-hmm. and I get lost, and I'm doing four extra miles, which is like about eight kilometers extra, and you know I'm starting to oh, get yeah. upset yeah. because as I was approaching that day, it was a short day. It was only thirty miles, maybe sixty k, which was short at that point. And so I was like, "Oh, nice, you know, last day short. It's gonna be a breeze." Almost the end. Almost the end. I'm like <laughs> celebrating, but as I approach. I can't find the freaking starting point or ending point. And I call my crew and they're trying to, to guide me on speakerphone. And I just can't, by the time I arrive, I'm like upset, you know? Yeah, I'm like, like, uh, yeah. yeah. I'm like, oh my God, let's just get this over with. <laughs> uh, so it was very anticlimactic and it was a random point on the highway. It wasn't like there was a crowd cheering me on. It was like very normal. <laughs> yeah, it was like a basic uh, standard. <laughs> very basic, very yeah. basic. So it was truly another another sign another symbol of this being about the journey not about the destination mm-hmm. yeah 100% and regarding the journey so regarding that experience how did you grow are the things that you discovered about yourself regarding maybe your your strength your weaknesses mm-hmm. and what you want to to learn more and to develop on yourself yeah, oof, there were so, so, so many lessons. It was almost a daily and hourly uh, way of learning about myself. Um, but the main, main message was to trust and to surrender and to stop pushing. Mm-hmm. We, we try to push so hard in our lives. We, we, we want a certain outcome and we want to control everything around us. But the moment I started trusting and surrendering is Mm -hmm. when things got easier for me on the bike literally on the bike physically when Mm -hmm. I started to trust and surrender 
the wind got easier and mm. I felt better and I was more graceful on the bike and and efficient you know, mm-hmm. the muscles that didn't need to be working relaxed and the ones that did need to be working were working just enough. It was there was this beautiful evolution into surrender where that was very that translated to 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 the physical, to how I was riding my bike. Mm-hmm. And this was reflected to me by the crew who mm-hmm. was observing me and they were like, towards the end, your your style was very, very different than the beginning. There was less pushing and more flow. So the main message was to to surrender. Um, mm-hmm. And also, you know, I learned that perseverance is a real thing that I have. You know, like I'm someone who perseveres, who pushes in the face of adversity, who who will not give up. And, and that's mm-hmm. something that was nice to be reminded of. Yeah, you mentioned uh, trust. Do you mean developing self-confidence or trust uh, I don't know trust uh, what you the stories that you are telling to yourself mm-hmm. what trust are you referring to trust in how in how your life is unfolding so less doing less forcing less trying mm-hmm. and more becoming who you need to become you know there's a contemplation that I hold that's connected to my nature which is who do I need to become to allow that that which I seek to arrive? So work on myself, work on becoming who I want to become, who I, who I would look up to. Mm-hmm. And, and in becoming that, things will come to me. Yeah. There's less of a need to, to push and to pursue. But that's just based on what I've learned about my nature. When I embodied and anchored in myself, things come to me. When I am not embodied and, and, and I'm trying to push and control and force an outcome, things don't work. And that's what happened with my footwear company. Hmm. For others, maybe your nature is different and you must push and pursue and, and cold call and reach out to people. Maybe that's how you get your opportunities. But for hmm. me, it's the opposite. Hmm. And so that's what I, what I learned is, is learn about your nature and your essence and based on that live your life so there are there is a design there is a person who is meant to to pursue um Mm -hmm. that's just not me and do you have like a a role a model or for you it was like it's your journey and it's your story and you you're not comparing yourself to anyone yeah I, i think the latter i think for me it was more I was curious about myself and my journey and what life wanted to reveal to me on that on that journey rather than pinning a role model and trying to become uh trying to follow in those footsteps. Mm-hmm. Of course it's a, it's a journey and it's an ongoing journey as you mentioned so I'm curious also to ask you what are the areas of development you want to Mm-hmm. To, to explore um, any new adventures co- coming uh, mm-hmm. next? Yes, always adventures, always. Um, so it's 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 a process, right? The process of, mm-hmm. of um, learning about yourself and and anchoring in your in your nature. So that's I mean that's ongoing. I am fascinated by 
pilgrimage. I think this journey in Iceland revealed that to me about how comfortable I am in in the discomfort of a mm-hmm. of a internal journey and how much I learn about myself and how 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 I thrive in that environment. So I am exploring life as pilgrimage. I will be starting a podcast actually that explores that question with my guests. Amazing. Um, yeah, I know. Um, I'm, I'm excited about it. And yeah, this question, this, this contemplation around life, living life as a pilgrimage, you know, mm-hmm. we can, we can perform hedge, we can go to the high Himalayas, we can walk the Camino de Santiago, mm-hmm. all deeply beautiful and transformative pilgrimages. But what about viewing our everyday that way, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's 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 what I want to explore in this podcast. Um, wow, this is a great news. Um, so when are you gonna start start the podcast? And uh, she can give us like more details if you have like maybe on which channel, which timeline? Yeah, uh, no specific dates in the next couple of months. You could follow me on social media. I'll probably be announcing it there. And also working on the launch of, of uh, a documentary that is mm-hmm. that talks about the journey in Iceland and becoming the first Arab and Saudi woman to do that. So those are those are the two main things. Wow, exciting projects. Regarding the documentary, uh, so do you know when uh, and where we can um, listen to, to it? Um, the documentary will be coming out in the next couple of months as well. We're just okay. finalizing the last few edits. Also, okay. also social media will probably be where I announce the, the launch. I think we almost at the end of uh, the the episodes. Uh, you mentioned a lot. You shared a lot of learnings, uh, Yasmin. A lot of you know insights about your own journey. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you have any additional message or any learning you want to share, or we can conclude? No, I think I made it very clear throughout this conversation that um, you know there is there is no blueprint for life, and that following a path that feels that feels true to to us is the best way to live and the way that feels that makes us feel most alive and and aligned but it's been a pleasure to speak with you sally thank you so much for having me on ah thank you so much yasmin it was a true pleasure uh, having Mm -hmm. this uh, conversation together and Mm -hmm. get to know you a little bit more at the human level and also explore your journey. I also want to, to thank all the listeners. Uh, your support and engagement mean the world to us. Mm. If you enjoyed the episode, uh, please consider subscribing, uh, leaving a review or sharing it with your friends. Of course, I will share the Instagram page of uh, Yasmin so you can uh, follow her and discover her journey uh, in more details. So looking forward to meeting you next Sunday to share with you another inspiring story which I hope you will like. See you next week.